This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. the official podcast of the Atlanta Braves. I'm Ricky Mast from MLB.com alongside Director of Braves Alumni Relations, Greg McMichael. Greg, uh, exciting week here at the ballpark. We're sitting here in the Alumni Lounge at SunTrust Park, and we've got a bobblehead giveaway this weekend. We've got Star Wars night on Friday, the 17th, which is always a, a big night. So we got Josh Donaldson, the Bringer of Rain bobblehead, on Thursday, May 16th against the Cardinals here at SunTrust Park. First 15,000 fans through the gate. We'll receive a bobblehead, so make sure you're here early. I, to me, anytime it's bobblehead night, if you want one, I always was like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be there early. I'm going to be at the gate when they open because that's, that's the only way you can be sure to get one. So be sure to come out and get that. And then uh, are you a Star Wars guy? I am. You are? Okay. Yeah, I'm not a uh, – the more recent Star Wars I'm not as big a fan of just because I think that they've been way too conservative. Hopefully this last one oh, okay. will be really good. But I was – I was very disappointed in the first one. Okay, well, see. First one meaning the first one since Disney took it over. Oh, okay. Uh, but I grew up being yeah, a huge Star Wars fan. You know, of course, my son is too. And, yeah. And we've uh, we've enjoyed that. But, yeah, that's it. They got characters walking around mm-hmm. uh, the ballpark. and you should come out for the pregame. They're going to have, well, just wear your Star Wars best. There's oh, going to there be go. photo ops and special character appearances and the battery and all around. And, that's always a fun night at the ballpark, even for, like, a casual Star Wars guy like me, just seeing everybody in the outfits that they come up with <laughs> and the different things that they, oh, they wear. Oh, they're very funny. realistic. Yeah. It's, it's, and they're it's, everywhere. I've, I remember seeing the staging area um, when I first started working here and, and seeing those guys. I'm like, what is going on? Where are all these Star Wars <laughs> characters? I mean, they're everywhere. I mean, they were all over the ballpark. It was pretty cool. That's very cool. Well, yeah, so get your bobblehead, come out to Star Wars night, and then also – Continue to rate, review, subscribe behind the Braves on iTunes. or It's on Spotify now, by the way. It's on Google Play. Uh, some of the episodes are up on YouTube, on the Braves' YouTube channel. So uh, can you keep uh, leaving those positive reviews and the ratings, sharing it on your Twitter, your Instagram story, wherever you like, or wherever you think you could help us. We very much appreciate it. We see it all, and we, we thank you very much for that. And the numbers that we've been seeing reflect that you guys are not only listening, but you're spreading it to your fellow Braves fans and baseball fans out there. So... We very much appreciate it. Our guest today, somebody that you're all familiar with out there in Braves country, you've watched him, multiple generations of Braves fans have watched him and his dad, of course, and probably their his grandfather with the Cubs and Cardinals back in the day, Chip Carey, our guest today on Behind the Braves. Really, really interesting time. Obviously, he talks for a living, so I, you know, you knew this was <laughs> going to be a good one, but hearing his insight into the game, where it's been, where it is, where it's going, it's it's pretty interesting stuff, and he certainly has – I think uh, strong opinions and, and well-thought-out opinions about the game, and it's it's really fascinating to sit down and, and talk with Chip for a while. Well, 30 years in, in broadcasting, he's truly broadcasting royalty with his dad, Skip, and, and Harry, and 
play-by-play for the Orlando Magic, so he's done basketball. And then he was with the Cubs for seven years, Seattle Mariners for three years, and he's been with us for 11 years. So uh, Chip is someone that I've known for a long time, um, and he I, I love listening to Chip. Like I told him, he's got a lot of energy. He's very positive. He's passionate about what he does. You can tell he comes to work with a smile. And he is um, – and we even talk about it. He's he's different than his dad. I mean, oh, yeah. He did different personalities. And, and, and even he admits, you know, he says, hey, I couldn't – I had to be my own person. And I, and I think that really comes, a, comes across with him. He does a great job. I know that the guys, uh, Jeff, Francoeur, and – and Glav, they they love working with him. He's a pro, and just um, he's he's great to represent the Braves on on Fox, and and uh, we love having him. We certainly do. Without further ado, here he is, Chip Carey. These runners belong to Newcomb. The one-two pitch, line drive, right center field, diving grab by Kakis. What a play! Are you kidding me? And Flores spikes his helmet in disbelief. Well, uh, Chip, glad to have you here um, in the Alumni Lounge on Behind the Braves. So welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Greg. This is, a, this is beautiful. I've never been down to this level before, and uh, uh, that's really one of the exciting things about this ballpark. Every day around every corner, there's something new you can discover, and to, to be in here where so, so many uh, Braves greats have sat mm-hmm. is a real thrill and honor, and glad to be with you. Yeah, well, great. Um, we are right across from Monument Garden, which, you know, this is obviously near and dear to my heart because we've got all the – all the alumni here. We've got the trophy next door with the rings. We've got Hank's statue. And so a little back, back story, Mike Plant, who was my boss for a long time, asked me when we were starting to build the stadium what I would like to have in it for the alumni. And, um, of course, I thought he was kind of kidding. And I said, well, I'd like turf. Um, <laughs> I would like uh, to have, um, you know, a suite for the alumni and you know, off the, uh, off the bucket of sunflower seeds. Yeah, yeah, right. So, yeah. Um, so he's, you know, I just told him to think he was kidding, and he goes, "Turf." He goes, "We're not having turf." He goes, "What are you going to do?" I said, "Because well, we don't have to worry about hurting the grass when we go out there, right?" <laughs> <laughs> but he said, uh, "He goes, well, you're number seven hundred ninety-five on the uh, on the list of of what you know you want on stadium." <laughs> I said, "All right." So it was about uh, about a month or two later, he goes, you didn't get me that list. What's going on? I'm like, oh, I thought you were kidding. So we ended up with an alumni lounge, which was really cool. So we wanted a place for some of the guys to get together. And if we wanted to have some events, meet the place pregame and do some stuff. Because we do provide seats and, sure. and parking and stuff for the guys. So this is kind of a kind of a gathering point. It's worked out really well. But now Ricky and I get to do the podcast here. Mm-hmm. And it's been a great spot for us to be able to just come in and have our own little private space to – to bring guys to, and um, so it's worked out really well. But uh, we wanted to have you on just because we go way back. Obviously, you were starting your career as I was kind of finishing my career, but obviously I know your dad, I know your grandfather, and uh, just have great memories. And I have to tell you this, I just went back and listened to the ninety-nine, the, the 1992 call of the NLCS Game uh, game 7 championship game. And if that ga- if you if you're not a baseball fan, yeah. mm-hmm. you listen to that game that at least that last n- that ninth inning call your dad, you will become a baseball fan. If you just the drama, the call, everything is phenomenal. Well, that's the, that's the thing about my dad's career. It's really funny. A, a lot of people recognized him and remembered him from his work on TBS on television. Um, but I think the essence of all really good broadcasters is they're birthed in radio mm-hmm. because it is the theater of the mind. And it, when you um, when you sync my dad's call to the CBS call, uh, 
um, you know exactly what he's seeing and what he exactly he was thinking. And his ability, and, and any good play-by-play guy, quite frankly, his ability to describe what takes place in real time with accuracy, with passion, with that flair, with his own signature way of doing it is what makes that call as good as any that uh, those of us in the business have, have seen, in my opinion. Obviously, I'm biased. Um, but, yeah, uh, it, it was his signature call here in Atlanta for so many reasons. And then, of course, the World Series was, was one as well. Um, but he would be the first to tell you that all of that is just luck. You happen to be uh, – behind the microphone when it's your turn to talk. There were a million great calls that Pete Van Weeren and Ernie mm-hmm. Johnson and Joe Simpson and Don Sutton have had um, in, in equally big situations over their careers. That one just happens to stick out because it was so improbable. Braves were down to their last bullet. Everybody thinking this is over. The Pirates are going into you know, the World Series. The Braves aren't. And Frankie Cabrera comes up with this you – know, <laughs> <laughs> the baseball god tapped him on the shoulder moment, <laughs> and the rest, they say, is history. And, um, you know, my dad, uh, who did so many other sports, as good as he was at baseball, he's even better at basketball. I don't know if any f- folks sure, remember the Hawks, my dad yeah, doing the Hawks games Hawks. back in the day, but he was a really gifted NBA announcer. And he got to call Lou Hudson and Pete Maravich, even Julius Irving, who was a Hawk for yeah. a couple of games. Mm-hmm. Um, he was really, really a, a great basketball announcer, too. And working, and I do a lot of work with the Brave social media team, and so – Every year, obviously, on the, the anniversary of Sid sliding and on the 95 World Series, we're obviously going to post, you know, the videos sure. and all that or pictures from that day. Um, and when I go pull highlights, I usually – and sometimes we'll go with the original TV versions, but we prefer, just because we're all, we all grew up Braves fans, we work with this team. Sure. Our, our favorite version is we have the footage but synced up to your dad's call of it because mm-hmm. that's the call that was – if you ask me to pick the calls for my Braves fan for my life, those are the two. And, right. they, and, and I know it just happened, so happened he was on them, but those are the ones – those are the iconic calls or your dad's calls. And that's moments. the really tough part about being a national announcer. And dad's done that. Pete did it. I've done it. You're a hired gun. Mm-hmm. You don't have the same emotional investment in that game that the local guys have. I mean, mm-hmm. think about it. From spring training until October, uh, we're traveling with the team. We're in the dugout. We're in the locker room. We're seeing these guys on the bus, 3 o'clock in the morning, landing in San Francisco to play a game the next day. We're, we're in the trenches every single day. And so you cyclically and, and, and inherently know what's going on. You have a feel for mm-hmm. what is going to take place in the game. You have a feel for what a player can or can't do at that particular time in the season. And I think that's what makes the local call so great. And that's one thing that, that is missing from the game today, in my opinion. In the old days, and I hate to sound like you know, to get <laughs> off my lawn, and that's not the purpose of this at all, but back in the 50s and the 60s and even into the 70s, when the playoffs came, the two teams that were in the playoffs of the World Series, um, they would bring an announcer from each crew to do the games, oh, that's and cool. they would rotate. So my grandfather did it. Uh, they'd have Harry Carey working with uh, Phil Rizzuto, uh, and then the next day it would be uh, you know Bill White and Jack Buck, and you got this unbelievably um, local flavor for a national broadcast, and the fans were treated to that inside knowledge mm-hmm. that we all have, and, and as well as the passion too. Sometimes it played well, sometimes it didn't, but that was, um, I, I think, part of the seasoning and the spice that's missing from a generic national telecast where the announcers have maybe seen your team two or three times a year, not two or three times in a 72-hour yeah. period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I would have loved to, loved to see I that. Oh, yeah. I, love that. I love the concept of that. It's really yeah. great. That's something that, that hopefully maybe they can bring back someday. I would love uh, to see those it. Those big-time national guys don't want to give up the World Series game. Uh, I don't think that's coming back. wouldn't have a job. So, yeah. uh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> He's been a guest on here, too. So how would he pay, how how pay for the hair care? I mean, that's <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh well, how early, like, growing up around your grandfather and your dad, how early on did you decide that that was what you wanted, that you wanted to follow in their footsteps and uh, be able to become a broadcaster? You know, it's interesting. Um, I think that's a big misconception. My parents were divorced. My grandparents were divorced. I didn't know my dad particularly well uh, as a youngster. I lived in St. Louis when he was down here. Uh, Harry had already left the Cardinals by the time I knew anything about baseball. He was in, in uh, Oakland in 1969. I was three years old when, uh, after 25 years, he left the Cardinals and, and, and the brewery. Um, so my, my knowledge of my dad, other than our visitations that we obviously get, uh, were based upon cable TV. It's really interesting. Um, and I grew up in St. Louis, and in the early 80s, cable was just starting to penetrate the Midwest. And like every kid in, in the Midwest, you'd come home after school, do your homework, and if it was rainy, you'd turn the Cubs on, hear this crazy old man with big glasses sing that stupid song, <laughs> and then go have dinner, finish up your homework, take your bath or your shower, and then turn on the Braves game in San Francisco. And that's how I kind of knew um, who they were. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's for folks who don't understand, it's, it sounds so strange, but I didn't really have a great relationship um, as a father-son, and there was no negative, don't misunderstand me, but uh, going to have lunch or coming to my Little League games or any of that, that didn't happen. And it didn't really happen until I came down to Georgia and went to UGA. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really became close. We really became colleagues. We really became friends uh, as well as father-son when I was almost already an adult. And so that was really a unique thing. And one of the reasons why I left the Cubs was to come down here and be a son. Uh, My dad's health, as you all know, wasn't good in the last couple of years of his life. And I did not want to miss out on the opportunity that I missed out with my grandfather in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And the original plan was to work with him. And so um, I grew up knowing Harry, hearing Harry, uh, knowing my dad, spending time with my dad, like everybody else in Braves country sitting in front of the TV and laughing at his stupid dad jokes. And (laughs) I could tell from the tone of his voice how the team was doing that night. And that's kind of how we, that's kind of the beginning and the basis of our connection was Mm. through television, believe it or not. Yeah. I've watched some of the clips. I I love the one they have Harry on there, your granddad, and he's talking about, you know, skip and that uh, every night he would sit, tell him at eight thirty or nine thirty. He would say it. I'd tell him good night. Yeah. And and he said, made some comment like, "That's the only time he ever listened to me <laughs> when you go to bed. <laughs> tell him to go to bed each night." Yeah. Okay, you know, again, this was before there was a game on TV every day mm-hmm. in the sixties and seventies. It was the game of the week. And um, for those in Braves country who aren't aware, the Cardinals were on KMOX radio. And it was a big, giant, clear channel, 50,000-watt AM powerhouse. You could, you could actually hear it in Europe. That's how strong the signal wow. is. And um, Harry would be doing the games, uh, and every top and bottom of the hour, by law, you would have to, I, you'd have to pause for station identification so you could say the call letters, right, and allow the stations around the network to identify themselves, too. So we go, we go to the fourth inning on Camel X, time for a station break. Good night, Skip. <laughs> and so dad told that story and was yeah. like, okay, this continued until he was in high school, for God's sake. <laughs> so my dad's lining up as an offensive lineman at Webster Groves High School, and there's this big, giant defensive tackle, and he goes, good night, Skip, and he just ran him over. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so it's, it's kind of funny how cyclical things are. My dad kind of grew up with Harry as Harry, not dad. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it took a long time for my dad to sort of get equal footing with my grandfather, and part of that was he had leave St. Louis. Um, My dad did the St. Louis Hawks when they were there and they moved to Atlanta. Uh, My dad had an opportunity to stay with the Cardinals um, and and do some other things in St. Louis. But for his career and for his own sense of worth and to prove that he could do it on his own, Mm -hmm. he had to leave and come someplace else. And uh, he started with the Atlanta Crackers and boom, here, here was his career. Well, when I read your story about just, you know, 
not knowing your dad, mm-hmm. not knowing your grandfather. I have to say, I was sad. I mean, I was a little yeah. sad. And I'm just curious. I know you're, you got what four kids. Four. You got three boys mm-hmm. and a daughter. And um, you do travel a lot. Obviously, you're not home, you know, much. But how has that impacted you as a as a dad today with your kids? Because obviously, it's totally different than than how you grew up. Very much so. Uh, I, I think. You know, look, my my grandfather's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I think my dad should be in the Hall of Fame. The people that should be in the Hall of Fame are our wives. Um, they have to carry so much of this burden. Uh, because we are away. I was talking to my son Christopher about that today. He wants to get involved in the business. And I said the most difficult thing will be for you, not now as a young and single guy getting started, but when you meet someone who becomes your significant other and you get engaged or you get married and you have children, you're flying across country to Pittsburgh to do a baseball game. Meanwhile, your children are homesick and your wife doesn't have any help. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the most difficult part of it. Um, you know, my wife, Susan, is incredibly smart, successful. I'm way out over my skis. Um, <laughs> she's raised four incredible people. Forget the baseball part of it. Um, I, I'm so proud of all of my children. And all, of the, all that they are is the product of mostly her hard work because – you know, Greg, you, you go on a road trip, you come back 10 days later, you just try to come home and not screw anything up yeah. because you find out really quickly how well they can get along without you. And it's not that they don't love you, but they're so resilient and so strong. Mm-hmm. And uh, the greatest compliment I can give to my wife is not only is she beautiful and smart and intelligent, she's a remarkably nurturing person. She's raised four um, uh, tremendous kids who are independent and smart and will be successful because um, they understand what this life is like. And my kids, you know, I've told them, I, I said, I know there were a lot of times where I wasn't there. It's not because I didn't want to be, but we're slaves to the schedule. And this wonderful opportunity and lifestyle that this sport and this business provides us provides them with a lifestyle mm-hmm. that, that that's the trade off. So, uh, yeah, there's guilt. I've got a 21 year old daughter. I've seen her roughly half of her life. Mm-hmm. Um, that's hard. That's hard. But I know what kind of person she is and what person she's going to become and what kind of a mother she's become. And uh, I take uh, some solace and pride in that. But uh, most of the credit, as you, as I said, goes to my wife. That's yeah, good. that's whenever somebody asks me about working in sports and how you get in and then all right, well, what do you have to do and all this. And I said, well, the number one thing is, particularly if you're going to work in baseball, is you better love it. You better yeah. love every bit of it because there aren't days off. Yesterday we had our first day off in, what, 20 days? Right. And there were still things, at least for for me and the people I work with, we still had stuff to do yesterday. I yeah. tried to go out and do a few things, you know, to enjoy the day, but there's still work to be done. It's baseball season, and it doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. You better love every single second of it because if you don't, you will not make it. You won't make. You won't last it a month. We have a, a season. We have a Christmas ornament that we put up every year. <laughs> we now interrupt this marriage for baseball season. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and that's yeah. and that's really true. That's and and um, you know, Pete Van Weeren and I talked about this. Uh, his lovely wife Elaine handled all the extraneous stuff outside of baseball from March 1 until October 1 because it is it is a full-time 24-hour, even on your day off, it's really not a day off. And, and for the fans who don't understand how we travel, yes, we fly first class, we stay in great hotels, and it's luxurious. I mean, we are spoiled rotten, and I am grateful for every single bit of it. But as you said, 20 games in 20 days, uh, we started our road trip in Miami, played three games in Miami, a night game, fly from Miami to L.A., a six-hour flight, get to Los Angeles midnight L.A. time, 3 a.m. body time, play the next day, no days off, finish up our three-game series in L.A. with a night game, fly to Arizona, get in at 1 o'clock in the morning, play an early play four early games, fly cross-country, get back to Atlanta on Monday, yesterday, uh, the 13th, and um, get in at 2 o'clock in the morning. By the time you get home, you're in bed at 4, and as you said, carpool, 
groceries, laundry, dry cleaning, uh, try to get a workout in, have not have a home-cooked meal, and then you look up at your watch and you go, oh, my God, it's it's 10 o'clock, it's time for Game of Thrones, and <laughs> now we got a game tomorrow. So yeah. it is truly uh, a 24-7, yeah. seven days a week for 26, 27 weeks. Well, I have to say I've always appreciated your zeal and um, – your uh, just excitement for the game. You seem to be truly a baseball fan. Um, I haven't didn't have the chance to listen to you call any of your basketball games, but uh, just your energy level, the years that I've known you being around the game, I've always appreciated that. But you're a lot different than your dad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which there's a you know you I, I was watching you and I was watching your dad. And of course, I was around your dad a lot more. Um, you know, it's kind of when I was playing. But uh, your dad was very dry. And but he was just as funny in his own right. Um, but you you're a different type of funny. But his was just he'd stick the like wait what what, what, you, what was that yeah. you said it you was know. a stiletto you didn't even know you were <laughs> getting stabbed right. right okay I'll give you an example of the three different senses of humor right okay. we, we we work in a business where we all have bad days right I mean sure. you're a performer we're everybody I'm, does you know I, I say I say the wrong word sometimes or I get a fat I mean we have bad days as a pitcher you I'm sure you had a bad day all right if if my grandfather was covering you and you were pitching for the Cubs and the Cubs are on their way to ninety losses he'd be say he'd say. Get McMichael out of there for crying out loud. What's he doing in the game, right? I mean, that's what Harry would say. My dad would say, huh, tough day for McMichael, but he's backing up third better than anybody else in baseball. <laughs> you know? I mean, and, and they're saying the same thing, yes. right? And, you know, I, I think that that, um, that style always plays well, mm. but there is so much of a sensitivity today in the game that, that – um, I wonder if players are having as much fun as they used to. I can't imagine the inherent pressures of being a major league player. And I, I've said to Joe Simpson a million times, I don't know how anybody ever gets a hit. I, I, I mean, the, the, the velocity, the movement, uh, the pressure, all that. Is, it, it's really, truly a miraculous thing what these guys are doing on the field and on the mound. Um, but having said that, um, it is still a kid's game. We all still laugh at the stupid stuff. We still laugh at Frank Coor whiffing when he throws a ball from the outfield or Tom Glavins, you know, watching uh, Smoltz do the stop, drop, and roll uh, play down the first baseline. And um, to your point, I try to see the inherent joy in the game. It is a beautiful game. It is a thinking game. Uh, We spend so much time talking about what's wrong with baseball and not enough time talking about what's right. I'm maybe in the minority in this. I don't mind bat flips. I don't mind tossing helmets. I don't mind any of that stuff. And I think that the more we showcase the youthful vibrancy in this golden age of baseball that we're witnessing mm-hmm. each and every day here in Atlanta and everywhere else uh, is an opportunity that's that's uh, that's lost if we don't do it. And, um, yes, I come to the ballpark uh, in a good mood. I try to leave in a good mood. I can't control what happens on the field. My job is to describe what happens. And uh, until I'm made general manager, I can't fret over you know those <laughs> kinds of personnel decisions, right? Um, but make no doubt about it, I want yeah. the Braves to win every single game. I want those guys to be successful because I don't want to see anybody fail on a big stage. I've done it. I've, yeah. I've gotten canned before for mistakes, mm-hmm. and it's not fun. It's not pleasant. Uh, but hopefully you learn from it. And, again, find the happiness in it because if you can't be entertained and excited and happy and passionate about it, how do you expect your audience yeah. to be? And that's, Well, that comes that's across. The, yeah, that, so that has thank to Thank you. It does come across, and, and I've always enjoyed listening to you. And, um and that's why uh, the other day I was, I was laughing because I don't know what it was, but you and Joe was back on TV with you, 
and uh no no i'm sorry this was this was jim jim powell was talking about about uh he liked listening to the front row on 680 the fan <coughs> sandra and everything and, and he's going on yeah you know award-winning show and everything and and he goes uh joe and you listen to them right um you listen to the show right and he goes yeah <laughs> it's just, it's just dead silence That's after that. Old, and Jim's like, all right, well, let's go on to the next video. The old, the old shameless plug without a plug, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that's uh, – you know, I'm, I'm really lucky, too, because obviously we have a new broadcast um, set up this year. Mm. And uh, that transition um, – was difficult, I think, for all of us for, for myriad reasons. Mm -hmm. But it's been great for Joe. He's having a blast on radio. He's so good uh, at whatever role he's in. I'm thrilled to death for him. I'm thrilled that I get to spend 25, 30 games with him on television. Um, the other side of that is I'm really lucky I get to work with Jeff and Tom. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I hope our fans understand this. And, I, and, and if I haven't done a good enough job of explaining it on TV and elsewhere, then that's my fault. But I'll, I'll use this forum here. I can't think of another place where you have three generations of baseball analysts doing a game. Now, if you think about this, Joe Simpson's been broadcast or was in baseball in the 1970s, played into the 80s, right? Mm -hmm. uh, he retired, got into broadcasting. Tom Glavin started pitching in the 80s, finished up in the 2000s. Jeff Francoeur started playing in the 2000s and just finished a couple of years ago. So we have a catalog of baseball continuous history going back from a player's perspective from you know, you know 1970 until current time and three different perspectives three very different personalities three very different opinions on how the game should be played or the right way or the wrong way to play but one common denominator mm -hmm. they all love the braves joe didn't play here but he's been here 30 plus seasons so he knows what this is all about here and that our fans get to hear those different perspectives on a nightly basis is i think an amazingly a uh, unique situation that, that I can't think of happening anyplace else in Major League Baseball. And luckily for me, I get to sit next to him and learn and, and laugh as well. That's, for, that's, that's very true. And I had, I had never thought of that, 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 that we've got those three guys that come from those three different times. That's, yeah, that's it, a, it's a really unique it's thing really we've rare. got. It's great. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you about working with, with Frenchie because Greg and I recently did an episode of Behind the Braves where we did our top five Braves, mo Braves moments, mine as a fan and his both as a player and then since he's transitioned into working in the front office with the alumni. One of mine was Jeff Francoeur's debut in the home run, which to me is still – I don't know what you think or if you even think about what are we, you know, what your favorite calls are that you've done. To me, that's, that's up there. It's probably first for me wow. of your calls. Is I just That night and the anticipation of that and how it all played out was just so cool, and I loved your call of that. So how is that going from – I mean, you just you called – it just seems like to me anyways – he just came up yesterday, and it's 15 years ago almost, and now you're sitting next to him calling games. How has that been, working with Jeff Francoeur it's been great. as your lead uh, analyst? Well, it's great. You know, and I talked about this with Joe the other day. Um, this is really a unique time for me. Every place I've been as a broadcaster, I've been the young guy. Mm -hmm. Steve Stone, been around forever. Uh, Don Sutton, Pete, my dad, um, you know, Joe. Now I'm the old guy, which I'm not so sure I like, to be honest with you. There's a lot more gray. Um, but Jeff broadcasts the game the same way he played. You mentioned uh, unbridled passion. Um, I, I love that. He comes to the ballpark excited, ready to go. He, you know, it's like, let's go. Strap it on. Let's go. Let's go kick butt. And um, I love that energy. I love that excitement. As a, uh, If we're talking about strict broadcaster, like Ted Baxter broadcasters, he is not polished at all. <laughs> and I think that's why we like him. I, I, I assume that's why Jeff was hired. The folks on television, I hope our fans want that unbridled honesty and that youthful exuberance. Because look, we're, we're marketing to a young 
crowd, at least we're trying to. And Jeff is not afraid to say what is on his mind. And in these politically correct times, I love that. I think that's important that he is allowed to have his voice to spread his wings and do the game that he wants to do it. Um, he's funny. He is uh, prepared. Uh, he knows the game. He knows the contemporaries that are on the field because he played with most of them. And I, I think that helps our broadcast. Um, he laughs, laughs at me, makes fun of my old old man clothes <laughs> and makes fun of himself and all that, which which helps build chemistry. Um, you know, you guys have been in locker rooms before. It takes a while sometimes for those 25 guys to mesh mm -hmm. together. Pretty much from day one, it's been seamless because he's known me for a long time. Uh, my One of my favorite Jeff Frank Chris stories isn't opening day or isn't his first home run in the major leagues, but his first road trip. Um, 2005, we all know about the baby Braves that came up and all those terrifically talented kids, but they really were baby Braves. Uh, we're getting ready to go on the road trip, and back in those days with Bobby Cox, it was you are stiffed and starched and you are buttoned up. You're wearing a sport coat. I don't care if you're flying around the world. You are, you're going to get off that plane looking like the 27 Yankees. And Jeff Rancourt walked up to me and said, hey, I need a favor. I said, yeah, what do you need? He said, I don't know how to tie a tie. Can you tie my tie for me? <laughs> this is his first road trip in the major leagues. And it's a funny story, but I think it's telling that there was a trust there that he already knew what I was about and who I was. And he was confident enough and trusting enough to, to be that vulnerable in that moment to walk up to an adult and say, can you help a guy out? And I've never forgotten that moment. I tease him about it all the time, but it really is was a sweet and tender thing, and I think is kind of the basis of our relationship. There's already an inherent trust there mm -hmm. that you just can't buy, and I'm so proud of him. I'm so excited for him, and um, there's not a doubt in my mind that if he does this and continues to do it, he'll be you know another one of those Braves broadcasters that goes into the Hall of Fame here, and um, I think that would be a very fitting way for him to, to live his life as an Atlanta kid who loved this franchise, did such great work, and is now representing the A in a, in a whole new and unique way. Yeah, that's great. Well, um, I was wanting to ask you, too, that with these young guys there, you feeling like you're in a different position. I know as a player, when I was with the Braves, I was the only rookie on the team in 93, mm -hmm. and that kind of was really who I was as I played throughout the, the, the teams that I was on. But when I went to play with the Mets, I, I took on a different role. You know, I became a veteran guy. And then the young guys coming up, I took on a little bit more of a mentoring role in the bullpen. Do you feel like that now as a, as a, a broadcaster, a veteran broadcaster, you, do you have words of advice for Jeff and Tom and, and even Ben Ingram that's, that's doing radio now? Do you talk to them about it and, and share some of the things that you've learned that maybe you wish somebody had told you along the way or maybe you got from your dad or – or something like that, do you see yourself in kind of a, a mentoring role with some of these guys? Absolutely. But as you know as a player, you don't want to cross a line. I will answer any question but ask, right? Because I, I, it's like you walking up to Pedro Martinez, hey, you're throwing your slider wrong, right? You know, you, you, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Um, yes. Uh, I, I think that um, I can teach these guys how to hold the microphone, I can tell Jeff, don't say seven things, the George Carlin. You know, don't say the George Carlin sevens on TV and you'll be just yeah. fine. Um, you know, where to stand, how to, how, to, how to, you know, get into and out of replays and stuff. Um, but the great thing about Jeff and Tom, and, and I'm not speaking of Joe because he's been doing it for so long, but the two newer guys is how quickly they pick that up. They know that when the ball's moving, shut up, let the play-by-play -play guy say his thing, and then, you know, add their, an their analysis. Um, but, yeah, I, I – I, um, this is such a personality-driven business that you have to be able to um, put your personality out there on public view 
and see what works and mm. what doesn't. You can't rehearse this. You can't sit in a – I mean, you can uh, put on game tapes and turn the volume down and do play-by-play with a headset, but it's not the same. It's not live. It's, you know, when that red light comes on, as you know, Greg, when the, when Bobby Cox hands you the baseball and you got to stare down uh, uh, Robin Ventura, you're either going to get him out or you're not. You know, right? The light's on. Mm-hmm. And it's the same in television. If you can't express yourself clearly and concisely and accurately and fairly, then you're not going to be cut out to do this. And you have to be able to maintain who you are. I mean, uh, so many people have gone, if you go out to Los Angeles and you listen to minor league broadcasters or high school broadcasters, there are 10,000 Vin Scully clones out there. Mm -hmm. They all want to sound like Vin Scully, which is a great compliment, but you got to be you. Uh, the, the biggest disaster I could have ever done was to go to Chicago and try to sound like Harry Carey in his booth <laughs> with his partner and say, holy cow, every time, right? I mean, you just right. you just can't do that. So, um, you know, the only advice I, I, I've given to Jeff and Tom is, look, be yourselves. That's why they hired you. You guys have expertise that I can only dream of. You played, I didn't. Um, and I, I truly believe in my heart of hearts that the really successful television broadcasts are those where the play-by-play guy is confident enough to steer the ship and it is up to the analysts to be the tour guide. And Jeff and Tom and Joe do an excellent job of allowing me my space to set them up, tee it up, hand them the seven iron, and say, go for the pin, it's 160 yards away, and they don't whiff. And I know I'm using mixed metaphors, but on TV, the analyst has to be the star. And when those guys are willing to step up and be eager to go to the microphone, eager to make their points, um, poke fun at themselves, poke fun at the play-by-play guy so that it feels like two or three guys are sitting around a table having a uh, bucket of chicken, wing, chicken wings and, and talking <laughs> baseball. It's a very, very comfortable, comfortable situation, and I, I think we've got it. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Absolutely. Well, I'm somebody who I, I'm certainly not an analytics or sabermetrics hater. Uh, I want the people making the decisions for my teams that I'm rooting for to have all of that, have a great understanding mm-hmm. of it, and use it to the best of their ability. But as a fan, it's never been something that I, I've invested time in. I love, grew up loving and watching the game without a lot of that. I just kind of stuck to the back of the baseball card sure. stats. Um, in recent, in the last year or two, I, I've started picking up on a few things here and there. I'm like, oh, that's more of the advanced side. And I'm like, okay, that's actually kind of interesting, and I, I look into it a little bit. And you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I feel like, particularly this season on the broadcast, you've been kind of incorporating a little bit more of uh, whether it's the things that we wouldn't have heard 10 years ago, whether it's exit velocity or on a, on a, on a broadcast. Sure. I feel like you, you've been incorporating that a little bit more. So, A, is that true? And, B, if so, what, what sort of prompted that? And what, what was the process of, of getting into that? My philosophy is very simple. It's adapt or die. Uh, whether we like it or not, um, the game and its evaluative process is changing. Uh, the days of hiring, you know, four or five advanced scouts and going and saying, Greg McMichael's hanging his slider, uh, be ready for that when you come to Pittsburgh. Those days are here, but on a much, much smaller degree. Uh, there's so much video, there is so much information that to not utilize it, I agree, would be foolish. The challenge we have on the TV side of it is it's really, really hard to explain it in a short, concise period of time. Mm-hmm. And that's the challenge. I am, I'm, uh, number one, I'm not smart enough to understand three quarters of it, and I'm smart enough to know that I don't know it. Uh, I try to, f- I, I, I am studying it more. We are trying to incorporate it more into the game. Um, but I, I, as I said, I think there's a dichotomy. The casual fan wants to know how many runs the guy scored, how many homers, how many RBIs, and what's he hitting. I mean, those are, those are the benchmark bubblegum card things. 
Most fans don't aspire to be general managers. Most fans aren't most. Fans aren't playing fantasy baseball. For the fantasy baseball players and the people that aspire to be general managers, you are looking for those kinds of edges, and I totally understand it. Um, but the difference between building a team and describing a team are two very different things, and that, I think, is the challenge that television and radio uh, really have. All of those advanced sabermetric stats have their value, and if you have the time to read them in the athletic or sporting news or Sports Illustrated, they make a great case to, as to how a team is put together and how to understand it, uh, and I value that. I think it's fantastic. However, the challenge I think all of us in the industry have is how do we condense that uh, master's thesis of mathematics into a 30-second soundbite where a fan at home who's totally unfamiliar with it can understand it. Mm -hmm. We have rookie fans. We have really sabermetrically inclined fans. We have to try to satisfy everybody, and that's really, really a challenge. So uh, to the larger point, yes, we're trying to incorporate those things slowly, um, and, and I, I, I'm getting more comfortable with them. And so for the really, really smart guys out there, I apologize for my sabermetric stupidity, but, <laughs> but, but as yeah. I, I'm trying to adapt like all of us. That's, that's, and that's why I brought it up because it's the same for me. I still work in the game, so I kind of, whether I grew up on it or, or used it when I was growing up, I feel like it's such a part of the game now. I had better at least kind of have a mm -hmm. little bit mm -hmm. of an understanding of it so yeah. I at least know what, what and, folks are talking yeah, about. And the other part of the Isn't challenge, it? too, is is even, even back in the day um, – these guys are so much more than the sum of their numbers. Right. And that's what uh, the sabermetrics, I think, as an exclusive way of evaluating a player misses. Mm -hmm. These are human beings. They have human frailties. They have their, uh, you know, I don't know if, using Greg as an example again, on a day where he goes out and throws a no-hitter, if he found out that uh, he and his wife are, are, are having their fourth child. Or, conversely, I don't know if he goes out and, struggles in three outings if a relative is sick or if he's battling an injury that nobody is supposed to know about. Those are the things that the so-called computer doesn't factor in. And I think that anybody who is strictly sabermetrics or anybody who is strictly back of the bubble gum card misses the whole point. And that is it's a game played by men who have their successes, their failures off the field that you they try not to carry over between the white lines. And I, I'm guessing, Greg, you'd agree with that, that. That's sometimes really difficult and people like us who aren't in that room and aren't in there for a reason cannot possibly understand, much less the fans. Yeah, well, you can't measure heart. You can't measure streaks. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, you know, one of the things I have a problem with sometimes is that I'm watching there's the eyeball test from the standpoint I'm, I'm watching my pitcher pitch. Okay, yes, the numbers say that he traditionally doesn't get this left-hander out who hits, who has gap power and he can go the other way. And I'm a right-hander, he's left-handed. So traditionally, yes, if you look at the numbers, I don't. But on this day, so I'm, I'm seeing something different in him. So am I just going to just, without even using my gut, going to take him out of the game and bring in the lefty just because the numbers say so, mm -hmm. or am I watching what he's doing and realize, man, his changeup is really good today. His cutter is really good today. Or his cutter is getting a few guys out early in the game, but that cutter ain't going to last in the seventh inning because right. it's not that good. Right. So I, you can't evaluate that with numbers because people go on four-for-four four streaks and they go on, you know, they, they go where weeks where they're not giving up a run, and then all of a sudden they give up five in a run. So you got to take that as a backdrop, I believe. But you still have to manage, and you still have to coach, and you still have to play the game. Right. Because if not, you're just like, well, what do the numbers say? 
Okay, well, well I guess I can't do it. Well, well you know, or I guess and, I can do it. Well, or and conversely, if if the number says, hey, he, he uh, you have to, you you should throw your slider here with this two two count, and he hits the home run. Well, it's not the computer that's going to get sent out. It's the that's guy right. that hung the slider. Right. So, um, again, th- I am in no way criticizing the way the game is. As I said, it's adapt or die for all of us in the sport. The game is changing for the better. There is so much information out there uh, that is incredibly insightful and incredibly helpful. I just try not to, from a personal standpoint and, our, and on our broadcast side, I don't ever want to lose sight of the fact that it's a game that involves mm-hmm. people, not just numbers. Mm-hmm people and when you get to know the people uh you i think have a much more uh deep understanding of who they are how they are and why they are and that's Mm -hmm. for me why i come to the game i want to see how and why and because i know who but i want to see how and why well you know this game's always been about stats we've always had the bubble and they always used to tell us don't read the stats don't because remember i remember sitting at a picnic table remember we had in Fulton county state we had a picnic table in the middle of the room and they would throw the game notes down, mm-hmm. and they would have every stat known to man. They're like, don't look at the stats because you could see what your batting average is against this person, against lefties on day at night. You know, so it, 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 the game has always been like that. It's totally. just now it's, it's at the hyper level because you can tweet about it. You can pull it up at any time on your phone, your laptop. Mm-hmm. Everybody's talking about it. So, and, and then we've added – We've yeah, and, stats. I, and I think I think one of the things that made Bobby Cox so great as a manager, watching him as a broadcaster for the Braves and for the Cubs uh, as an opponent, was his instinct and his ability to manage by his gut, your eye test. Um, I, I, I sensed that um, the way the game has changed is some of these decisions are taken out of a manager's hands by those numbers so they don't have to answer questions mm-hmm. from clowns like us. Well, why'd you leave him in, right? You come in and – well, your, your, your slider is dancing and, 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 and spinning and guys are swinging and missing. Well, you hung one more because you threw 42 pitches, not 35, which the book <laughs> says was, you know, seven right. too many. Then the manager gets asked, well, why didn't you take him out? Well, you know Bobby got – he got uh, criticized as much as anybody. Sure. Sometimes we forget about that. Sure. But the fans criticized Bobby a lot just because, you know, we had one championship and we were so close so many times. He used to get criticized all the time mm-hmm. because he would – he right. would do a lot of things. And, so. and, and ultimately, isn't it more fun as a fan? Forget forget right, wrong, otherwise. Isn't it more fun at the, uh, as a fan to sit around the water cooler in the office and talk about, <laughs> I can't believe he pulled him out of that game. Like, talk, Let's talk about the Cubs. 2016, they win the World Series. Joe Madden pulls Kyle Hendricks, I think it was Kyle Hendricks, out of game seven after five innings and after the game when they won, and they almost blew it. And he said, well, that's exactly how the game was scripted. What? This, you, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, and I love Joe Madden. Yeah. Um, this isn't a game you script. At least you're not supposed to. And it's so much more fun to talk about what, you th- what went right, what went wrong, what you would have done, and how you would have done it. Of course, it's after the fact. But even during the games, which we do, our philosophy, at least mine is, first guess is always fine. Uh, we had a game we've had, I think we had on the last homestand, three games where Brian Snitker had a really tough decision in the sixth mm-hmm. inning. He had Mike Soroka dealing. He's trying to protect him. We're up 2-1 to one or 3-1, to one, bases loaded. He felt like he needed more runs. So the choice was, do I take Soroka out and go to a Braves bullpen that's really been struggling, or do I bring Charlie Culberson up, who's barreling anyth- every, anything and everything he sees, and try to get more runs? 
Okay, he flips the coin. He says, "I got to protect Soroka. I'm going for runs." They went back and f- he went back and forth with Walt Weiss for like ten minutes. What do we do? What should we do? And he said, "Charlie's hitting." So Charlie comes yeah. up, hits a rocket. Remember that? Hits a bullet mm-hmm. to left center field that mm-hmm. uh, uh, whoever whoever caught it out there, Fran Mill Reyes, whatever, mm-hmm. makes the catch. They don't score, right? So now it's lose lose. You got Soroka out of the game. You don't get any more runs. And now you go to the bullpen. Well, who comes in? Josh Tomlin comes in and just deals for two innings, and they add on a couple more runs later and win. That's one of those gut decisions that is fun to talk about during a game. I'm sure the fans were doing it and talk about it afterward. That's missing because the numbers say, yeah. well, he's he's thrown 79 pitches. He, he's got 20 more. Well, it, you know, it's not always that way. Yeah. And um, I hope that, that uh, we in the booth and I hope that we as an industry – will have a healthy and respectful balance of those two very different schools of thought in, uh, in Major League Baseball now. And even when he made that decision, I was sitting in the press box, and I can vouch for the fact that that was a much debated decision among everybody. Everybody pretty quickly had their side, and there, yeah. was no, there wasn't much agreement on it either. But it, was, it became an instant debate, and everybody was – you know, making their case for it. And, and it was fun to sit there and talk right. about it. Right, and that's, you know, there was a, um, you know, there was a movie years ago, uh, I can't remember the title of it, but it was talking about the, the uh, recognition of Israel as an independent country. The United States was the first nation to recognize mm-hmm. uh, Israel. And there were a lot of people in the cabinet, I think it was Harry Truman's cabinet, that disagreed with that decision. And the Secretary of State uh, was asked by the president, should I do this? He said, Mr. President, uh, you are hired and paid big money to make difficult decisions. They're not always going to be right or wrong or otherwise, but that's why you're there. That's why Brian Snitker or Joe Madden or whomever are there. And if more of those decisions are right, they get to stay in the job. And that's why it's so much fun to manage along with, not in hindsight, but along with. Because to your point about being in the press box, everybody at home was saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, how's this going to work out? <laughs> yeah. And it did. Yeah. Well, I think that's part of what makes baseball a great game not only just from the pure sense of watching a ball being thrown, a, a, a bat being swung, and how these guys catch the ball, how they run, and then just the whole mind game of strategy. I just I love it, and I think anything that takes away from that, it bothers me. So replay, mm-hmm. some of these things were, you know, the, the dynamic of uh, the umpire where, you know, he can't – there's no human element as it relates to him where we've taken the strike zone. And remember how – Umpires used to have their own strike zone. Yeah, you know it, it was characteristic of a certain guy, and um, and I think about there was a number of guys when I came in the league on how they would, you knew that you couldn't get this pitch with this guy, but you could get this one, and 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 so there's certain things, and then you could work them a little bit. I think that some of that's being taken out of it with the whole strike zone, uh, the technology of the strike zone, and all that stuff. So I, I like the I think the game is beautiful in and of itself, and mm-hmm. the way it's played, and I love the strategy. I love thinking about what the managers are doing and why they're taking this guy out, why they're pinch hitting this guy. And I think anything, the the DH and all that, anything that takes away that strategy, I feel slighted. Yeah, so. I, I, I think I think baseball, I mean, this is just my opinion, they want to get it right. Every league wants their officials to get every call right. And obviously mm-hmm. that's not going to happen, even with technology. We've seen it with replay where, mm-hmm. you know, come on, I, I know he's out, but replay's yeah. going to say he's not, right? Hey, taking that away. My sense is that baseball was terrified in this day and age of social media and Twitter and, and all that kind of stuff. They don't want a Don Denkinger 
play in the World Series where a guy is so egregiously out and called safe that it swings a World Series. And that's what happened. I grew up in St. Mm-hmm. Louis, and I still haven't gotten over that that call. Whitey Herzog still hasn't mm-hmm. gotten over that call uh, for the Cardinals. Um, and so I, I get that. Um, but I agree with you that the human element and the um, – uh, the strike zone, um, those are all things that, that in our quest to get it right, clinically right, some of the soul's gone. Hmm. Some of the soul of the game is gone. You can't tell me, and I never play, but I, you can't tell me that a ball that's two inches off the plate can't still be barreled. You can't tell me that. The way you guys swing and, and, and hit the ball and the plate coverage they get nowadays, so why not hunt for more strikes? Hmm. How, how is the game harmed in that way? I mean, Bobby Cox told the story a million times. His first major league at bat with the Yankees, uh, first pitch, he took it, and it was on the black. And he looked back at the umpires and said, huh? He said, it's the big leagues, kid. Swing the bleeping bat. <laughs> and that's, that's something I think, in my opinion, would dramatically improve pace of play. Not time of game, pace of play. Yeah. And this is, a, a, again, a non-athlete's opinion. Hunt for more strikes. Get the hitters in the habit of swinging the bat. When the game is played and there's action, it's a fantastically beautiful game. Uh, but the three-outcome thing that we're seeing so much of now, homers, which are ridiculously up, um, walks, which are high, hit-by-pitches are high, strikeouts are astronomically high. That's not baseball. That's that's a home run derby. And I, I can't tell you the last time I saw a hit and run in a major league game. Think about mm-hmm. that. When's the last time that you came – the St. Louis Cardinals who are in town now. When's the last time you saw the St. Louis Cardinals come to town and say, hey, man, that's a team that will steal a base on you. McGee, Coleman, Tommy, Her, Jack Clark, all those guys, one beast mm-hmm. among the fleas. That's, that, that's out of the game. Um, the, the ballet at second base. The most athletic players on the field, generally speaking, besides relief pitchers, of course, mm-hmm. are <laughs> your second baseman and your shortstop. They just catch it and stand there. They just catch it and stand. And I'm not advocating guys getting barrel rolled and blowing out knees and all that kind of stuff, but there was a cat and mouse game. How does a second baseman or shortstop use the second base bag to defend himself against a base runner trying to break up a double play? Come across, catch it and step back, mm-hmm. low bridge the guy. None of those things are happening anymore in the game, and we are, again, sanitizing something that is so beautiful to watch when it's mm-hmm. done well and done uh, uh, professionally, as it were, that um, – I. I, I weep for that because that's what I grew up watching. And I, I would dare say, again, at the risk of sounding like a grumpy old man, and I'm not, um, I think it's better. I think that way is better. Um, you know, a guy goes by and, and, and his he slides in and he's within the rule book and is within arm's reach of the base, and his left foot accidentally clips a guy on the foot going by. The shortstop or the second baseman looks back at the guy like he wants to fight. I, it's just <laughs> it, it, it's, it's astounding to me. Yeah. And uh, I don't think we're ever going to go back. Uh, mm-hmm. to that um, but for fans who think I'm crazy go back and look at the 1977 playoffs between the Yankees and Royals and watch how uh, Willie Wilson went into second base against Willie Randolph and compare that to how baseball is played now um, you'd be shocked um, at that extreme and compare it to the extreme that we're seeing now mm-hmm. it is truly a totally different game still great yeah. but totally different mm-hmm. yeah well I think uh, and you referenced this earlier one of the things I do like we're seeing in the game now it's kind of well, and it's kind of under the umbrella of the "let the kids play" yeah. kind of campaign. You mentioned it earlier that mm-hmm. you you don't mind bad flips and all nope. that stuff. And I kind of I never really had a strong opinion either way on it until the Acuna Urania incident last year. And my thought was, if we're getting to a point where we're trying to limit the the passion and the joy that, that Acuna plays the game, I mean, he plays the game like a little kid, and mm-hmm. he's 
one of his teammates gets a big hit, he's literally jumping out of the dugout mm-hmm. on the field in the middle of the game. And it's like if, if we're trying to – if somebody's trying to put a stop to that, then I don't think that that's the, the right way to go. And that's why I've kind of been – I enjoyed the whole let the kids play thing. And I, I enjoy seeing a little bit of passion from these guys. I, I agree. And I, I want pitchers to – like if they strike a guy out, let them – I mean – Greg, you can throw your glove, do whatever you got to do. I know do a that's cartwheel. A, yeah, do like yeah. I would Smith, love do to back, do a back. A Greg McMichael <laughs> cartwheel is I am here dude, for that. <laughs> there's a dude in the minor leagues now when he saves the game. Have you seen this video? Seen that guy? Yeah, yes, I can't yes. remember what his name is. He, he saves the game in the minor leagues, and it, he he walks to the to the front slope of the mound and stands and does a standing backflip. Really? He does a standing backflip to celebrate his save. Wow. Now, I mean, my hamstrings cry just thinking about what that must be like. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I, I look. Uh, Steve Stone and I talked about this a lot when I was with the Cubs, and this is going back to the late 1990s. Um, Baseball, like every sport, is in the fight for its economic life. It is a vibrant industry. It is doing incredibly well. Attendance continues to do well. I know that it's down because of early season, blah, 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 blah. But historically speaking, more fans are watching, attending, enjoying baseball now than they ever have. Um, it's it's, It's in a fight for every single dollar it can get. And anything we can do to capture a seven or eight year old kid who might come to a ball game and see Acuna or Albies or Trout or Ken Griffey Jr. or Pete Alonso in New York, you got to do it. You've got to do it. And if that means, hey, we're going to have a bat flip competition after the home run <laughs> derby, then then so be it. But we we cannot continue to be stuck in. Well, I'm just going to put one in the guy's ear because he did his job well. Um, you know that that style of baseball is gone, and I think for the better. Uh, I said on on my Facebook account the other day, I don't understand how the players' union can allow one member of its constituency to put another's career at risk simply because, in this case, Acuna was doing his job better than anybody else in the game at that time. It's nonsensical to me. Pitching inside, no problem, but to deliberately throw a ball and try to injure the guy is beyond terrible um so you know look let's enjoy the kids let them play let them do their thing and we have to understand i think culturally speaking um that the way the game is played in the caribbean is very different than it is here you watch a caribbean world series game watch the mexican series games i mean fans have this vuvuzelas mm-hmm. out and mm-hmm. the clang and the cow horns i mean down in miami those people in right field they've got the bands and all that <laughs> it is great it's lively yeah. it's fun it's very different so why not embrace a little bit of that? We don't have to be buttoned up and stiff and starched yeah. and all that well, stuff. Well, even Japan. I mean, oh, it's yeah. just as crazy. Throwing guys pandas after they hit home runs. <laughs> Rob Horn, got the clappers. Yeah, right, right. So um, I think that, that um, we have to, as, I just, as I've said a couple of times, we have to adapt to a changing marketplace and a changing audience and to attract these kids who we hope will be baseball ticket-buying mm-hmm. parents and grandparents when they're older. Can't turn them off. We can't make this a boring, slow, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, dull, takes forever sport. And if it if it means a bat flip from Ronald Acuna Jr. and a, um, uh, as I said, a standing back flip from a relief pitcher <laughs> to get people excited and say, "Wow, what is that?" Then hey, I'm all for it because ultimately our our existence depends right. on these future fans buying in too. I think that's what I love about being here on the business side with the Braves and seeing all the things that we're doing with the battery and, and with the game. We're, we're constantly trying to find ways to to do something different, you know, try mm-hmm. to move the game along, evolve the game, and, 
and obviously you can't do anything about on the field. I think baseball does have a dilemma with its time, you know, with the time lapse of, of uh, you know, how the game's being played. I think obviously throwing more strikes or more strikes being called, making the hitter swing uh, is, would help, but they've got a real dilemma there because right now I don't see any, that four hours is not changing. Well, everybody throws hard. So velocity is yeah. not special anymore, I, at least among yeah. the hitters I've talked to. They say, yeah, okay, throws you, 98, big deal. Uh, you you know, want to be special, uh, throw it in the zone. At, at 89. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, it's, it's again, yeah. it's full circle. I was there for Mark Waller's first major league game. Mm-hmm. He's, it was in San Diego, and here's this kid that comes out, and everybody's on the top step or, or right at the edge of the dugout, and he's throwing 95 miles an hour out of the bullpen, and everybody's going like, oh, my God, I've never seen this before. I haven't seen this since Nolan Ryan. I mean, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, now everybody's throwing that hard. So you get the guys that would pitch like you or Tom Glavin, with all due respect to your fastball, um, who can hit corners, hit spots. We saw it with, with the Padres. Uh, Nick, hey, the, M, Nick M, the guy, very whose impressive. Na- the guy whose name I have no chance. Margaviches, <laughs> I think is how yeah, you that's say right. it. Uh, that's all he did was hit, yeah. hit spots. The Dodgers series in L.A. Now they, they throw a little harder. But Walker Bueller, Hinjin Ryu, and Clayton Kershaw, if you looked at the rectangular strike zone, mm-hmm. if you put all their strikes and, and put them – on the on the screen it would have been a picture frame everything was moving to the corners to the sides 91 with with action and that's that's what's um to your point what's what's kind of missing in the game everybody's so hyped up on guys throwing a bazillion miles an hour but they have no idea where it's going everybody's nuclelouche and that's also bad for the game because hitters aren't going to swing at that at this yeah. level. And if you do come in with a fastball at 98 that's straight, it's going to get hit a mile. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's again, the dilemma. It's pitching, not throwing. And uh, seeing some of these young Braves guys pitching, sure. I think bodes very, very well for all of us in the years to come. Absolutely. Well, Chip, we thank you so much for Thanks. your time. And uh, looking forward to hearing you call the – who's with you tonight for the Cardinals games? Frank uh, back? It's Frank Coor and Glavin for uh, game one. Uh, Tom's got uh, – he has to be on assignment Tuesday, which right. for him means drinking wine and watching the Bruins. Uh, <laughs> and then That's uh, what that meant when uh, you uh, said right, he and right. Frenchie were on yeah, assignment. Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. And then uh, Tom will be back with uh, Jeff and me on uh, uh, Friday. Awesome. So, yeah, okay. we're so – well, we've, we've got some new Braves that uh, – some new alumni in the mix, I think. TP and yep. uh, Medlin, and we've had Moylan on, and some of the guys doing the pre pre and post game. So we're excited. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's that's what they all say. Clusco, Clusco, yeah, that's what everybody says. Is the one thing they miss is being around the guys, and that's truly the best thing about our job is that these guys can retire, take off the uniform, and like Moonlight Graham, <laughs> walk across the line and understand they're in a different role, but they can still come to the clubhouse. They can still come in and have somebody bust their chops, and they can still talk about a game they love and. Um, um, uh, we're so grateful for the support we get from you guys with the Braves and uh, for those alumni who want to come and be a part of it, and obviously the fans too. So it's a yeah. good gig, and we'll keep it rolling. Great. Thanks for all your work. Greg, thank you so much. All right. Three balls, two strikes, runners hold. Pitch swung on, hammered center field, deep Patterson back to the infield. Track, roll, it's gone! Three-run homer, Jeff Rankhorn's first big league hit of Our thanks again to Chip Carey for joining us here on Behind the Braves. You know, you referenced this in the intro, Greg. It's interesting that, yes, Chip comes from this famous line of, of broadcasters, but each the three of them, with Chip obviously being the, the latest, were very different from one another and carved out their own personality. They shared the name and a, a, a title in, in a sense, I guess, but Chip is, is his own man and his own kind of broadcaster, has his own style that's that's different from the, the men that came before him. So... Again, it's just interesting to hear his take on things and 
And I guess how early? I'm just curious. How early did you meet Chip? Did you did you guys cross paths at all while you were a player? Because he would have been. I know he wasn't. He here was yet. just starting out, but okay. he was doing he was doing some different things. And he was in you know in Chicago right for a little bit early on. And then of course you know he'd come see his dad. But I think he did some I don't know moonlighting or sure. or some special guests. But I remember him in as well as Ernie Johnson Jr. Early in my career in the early '90s, uh, those guys were around. I re- definitely remember them. Um, being a part, I think he was with the Braves for just a couple years. Um, you know, he had like two. This is the second stint with the Braves, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I knew him really young, and he was just starting out. Now I was watching, looking at pictures uh, today of him. He had big glasses, <laughs> right. and then his grandfather had big glasses. You know, he's Harry the Car- Harry Carey the third, and then we met his son Christopher, who's Harry Carey the fourth. Really? So yeah. Oh, wow. So we just we um, Harry uh, Harry. Christopher came with him today, and his real name's Harry Carey the fourth, but um, they call him Christopher. And, and Chip said that Christopher is interested in getting in the business yeah, too. I know it's that'd amazing. For well, that'd be something, wouldn't it? A fourth yeah, generation. I know, like, pretty incredible. Yeah, it is. But uh, yeah, so I, I've, I've known him for a long time, and like I said, he he does uh, just a great job with us, and um, and I, w- you know, we talk about some uh, mentoring, and I would imagine as much. Oh, just a wealth of knowledge that he has from starting out in the business, and just the pressure of becoming your own person. And and he and I loved what he talked about in the interview is that really you can practice all you want and you can try to mimic other people. I guess it's like being a singer, but if you're not who you are, then that's it's it's not going to come across very well. You you can't be somebody else. He couldn't be his dad. He couldn't be his grandfather. He had to be Chip. And I think that you got to practice being your own person. And when that when the spotlight comes on and and it's time to make the call. You, your real personality has to come out because that's what people are either going to like or they're not going to like. I agree. And, you know, one thing, I don't think Chip gets enough credit from some folks, I guess, um, on how good his play-by-play is. And in the big moments, and when there's a big, a crucial yeah. moment, a big home run, a big catch, he, I mean, he's more often than not, he nails those. And that's a, that's a particular skill in of itself of broadcasting is being able to capture those moments correctly. And he's – his enthusiasm, his excitement, and the way he calls those really big, oh my God, moments. Yeah, I think there's there's nobody as good as him in the business right now at that. He's really yeah, good at and it. there's a balance of doing too much and doing too little. Mm-hmm. And I think what a, t- a lot of times I've seen nowadays in listening to many different types of sports broadcasts is that they tend to do too much. And I think he he comes. He's probably been around. He knows that there is a fine balance between too much and too little. And uh, I think he does a really good job of that, especially in the big moments. Absolutely, absolutely. Glad he's on our team. Yeah, absolutely. Me and you both. Well, so is fantasy camp registration. Is that open Yeah, now? so all I've right. been registering people all, right. all week. Uh, just want to reiterate that uh, camp is now open for 2020 down at Northport, Northport the uh, new Braves fantasy uh, uh, spring training complex where we're going to have our first fantasy camp. So real excited about that. You can go to Braves.com slash Fantasy Camp and see all the information. we got detailed information on there. You can register, put your deposit down. If you have any questions, you can email me or you can just uh, email me at FantasyCamp at Braves.com. And um, we uh, would love to have you. It is the number one experience that we do with the alumni. We take you through a whole week of what it's like to be in spring training. We're coaching you. You're going out to dinner. We're playing baseball. We're talking baseball. We're telling stories. It's just a great time. And then now we've got a beautiful backdrop, Northport, mm-hmm. and the new spring training complex. So can't wait to have you. Uh, there are only 70 spots. So um, 
if you want to come and it's for men and women age 25 and over so love to have you want to let you know about that also we have alumni sunday coming up this weekend we've got three great alumni we got dan ugla be a first time back here doing alumni sunday with us kelly johnson and chris medlin will all be out in the at the georgia power pavilion uh signing autographs and um uh, would love to come out and uh, if you want to come out and meet them and We'll be out here from 1130 to 1230 and then uh, doing some stuff in the SunTrust Club. Awesome. That'll be a, that's a fun one. That's a fun group there. That's, you know, starting with Kelly Johnson was a member of those baby Braves that's that right. Terry talked about. And yeah. Medlin a few years later and Ugla around not too long mm-hmm. after 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 Medlin joined the team. So it's, that's yeah. a fun group from well, the 2000s. There. Yeah, yeah, we got a new wave of, of alumni now. So with Love Frank Coor doing the broadcast and then Moylan just now stepping down and he did some pregame. And, um, and did well course, too. Yeah, Medlin and Kelly Johnson and Dan Ugla, and we've got a few others that are they're starting to come back to the ballpark. So love having those guys mm-hmm. kind of infuse infuse some of the older guys that uh, we've had here for for many years now. We just have a great group and uh, glad they're being a part of it. Absolutely, and we are glad that all of you are a part of Behind the Braves. Uh, thank you again for your continued support. Greg McMichael and I will see you next week.